There'll be food and drink and ghosts. And perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited. Welcome to the Christmas special edition of Fear Feasts. We're here to deck your halls with fearful visions of sugar plums and gingerbread men. Get ready as we prepare to crack some nuts. Gizmo, look up here a minute. Hey, you can get a picture taken. Smile. Ready? One, two, three. Right, right, no, no. Right, right. What happened? He hates bright lights. You know, there's some things I forgot to tell you guys, and they're really important. Number one, he hates bright lights. We know that. But you've got to keep him out of the sunlight. Sunlight will kill him. Number two, keep him away from water. Don't give him any water to drink. And whatever you do, don't give him a bath. And probably the most important thing, don't ever feed him after midnight. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas, Ellie. Merry Christmas, Vanessa. We're joined today by a really important guest, Dr. Neil Buttery. And I have something to say about him. I just wanted to make a little introduction. We're really delighted to have you here, Neil. Shall I call you Neil or Dr. Buttery? Neil, please. (laughs) Okay. Well, Neil blends his expertise as a writer and career as professional chef um, and is the host of the British Food History Podcast. His literary accomplishments include the publication of A Dark History of Sugar. It was published in May 2022. And this won the Best First Book category at the Guild of Food Writers Awards in September 2023. And his second book, Before Mrs. Beaton, Elizabeth Raffold's England's Most Influential Housekeeper, which is one of my personal favourites, was published in March 2023. So you've been quite busy, Neil, and we want to start by asking you what your favourite horror film is. Like, do you have a favourite? That is tricky. Favourite horror film? That changes depending on my mood. Oh. I mean, favourite isn't the same as best, is it? No. It isn't. But, it, no. but, but, but this is a, this is a show where you know if if it's if it's your favorite then it's the best so go for it. Well, I would say then by probably my most watched is a Nightmare on Elm Street. Do you know what? I've oh. never watched that one. Oh, and you call your, and you I've call yourself a horror aficionado? You, you should be ashamed amateur. of yourself, Ali. Because <laughs> it's the skin. It's all that. It's a bit gory. I don't do gore very well. Like yeah. well, the first one because. Yeah. The no one knows who Freddy Krueger is, and because there's no budget, you don't really see him. They do it. <laughs> okay. They do it well. You don't see the body. Not seeing the body is more scary than seeing the body. It's only in the sequels when you end up having to see him loads. Yes, okay, very fair enough. And just out of just because I'm I'm just curious and a bit nosy, I wanted mm. to know what was the first horror film that you ever watched, Neil? The first horror film I ever watched, if I remember correctly, I was staying over at my friend David Tiffany's house. And we were still primary school age, so we were under 11. 
and we watched, if I remember correctly, on Betamax video. Um, <laughs> How old are you again? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I've given away my age. Um, an American Werewolf in London. Yes. And it, That's it. absolutely messed me up, man. Yes. Oh, did it? <laughs> yes. Still scary now. Yes. That, the bit, the dream sequence, when all the um, Nazis, evil Nazi monsters come and kill mm -hmm. his family, every time he wakes up from the dream, Jenny Agatha comes in to open the curtains and the dream isn't finished. No. Every single time I forget that happens and every time the jump scare occurs. Every, yeah. I've seen, I must have seen it 50 times. That's such a, and it's such a great thing to do in horror I mean, you think that you think that it's over and the dream continues. I mean, you see, you were talking about Nightmare on Elm Street. You see that used quite that technique used quite a bit in those films as well. So, yeah, I, I love that as well. I think it's one of the great one of the great uh, film techniques of horror. And if it's mm. done correctly, it it can be perfect. One of the great things about the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, I mean, one and three are the good ones. Everything else mm -hmm. is pretty rubbish. Maybe number two. It's been reappraised as a number two, mm. but um, a great fun game to play is to kind of spot the point at which reality has stopped and the dream has occurred mm -hmm. so that's always good fun so yeah i mean so yeah i suppose nightmare on elm street and american wealth in london and the great thing about american wealth in london what i didn't get the first time i watched it is just how funny it is it is yeah a lot of innuendo a lot of, yeah it, it's a good it's a it's a great film yeah very mm. subtle I, it would be interesting to, to see how a movie like that might be remade today um with with everybody with all the you know cultural sensitivity and political correctness i think that would be interesting to see mm. Mm. there's mm -hmm. been no remakes then no recent remakes I can't remember. there was that american werewolf in was paris one. wasn't it but we won't yeah, yeah. we won't talk about that, that one yeah we won't go there <laughs> <laughs> And, well. since, and since this is our, our holiday special episode, I'd like to actually ask uh, Neil, uh, what is your favorite Christmas horror film? Well, it's just the fav my favorite Christmas film, full stop. And it is, of course, Gremlins. Gremlins. And we're, <laughs> we're talking about that today in this episode. So Gremlins, hmm. yes. Yeah, okay. it's an amazing film. Mm -hmm. I remember being scared by that as a child. Yeah. Yes. I've watched it with my family because it's very much a family film. My brother's a few years older than me. So I'd seen it a few times, but I remember the first time watching it on my own after probably seeing it a dozen times, genuinely scared me. And I understand at the time there were lots of very angry parents thinking they were taking their kids to see a quite sort of fluffy Disney-esque kind of yes. paper. And then, especially because you know so much of the advertising, it, it only involved a little Mogwai character. It looks like the sweetest little, like cuddliest, like stuffed toy. You know, you want to just pick it up and cuddle it and all that, and then it turns into this this horrific demon. So it's it's kind of like relationships in a way. You know, you start off with this cute, wonderful, cuddly, happy thing, and you love it and hug it. It's beautiful, and then you feed it after midnight. It turns into a goddamn monster. Yep, but you know, time. but enough about my ex. <laughs> I tried to turn into a pumpkin after midnight, then the right? mogwai turned into pumpkin. You could say it's a form of a Cinderella story in kind of a way with that mid that reference to midnight. Hmm. And, you know, Neil was saying mm. about it being a family film, and he's <laughs> absolutely right. But Spielberg has this really kind of strange habit of making films, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., um, there's like these family films, but they're actually quite brutal when it comes to the kids. And that's mm -hmm. something he has in common, I feel, with Roald Dahl. Mm and investigating yes. and doing some research into the film, I realized that this was kind of based 
lo very loosely in terms of, I mean, no plot, um, but... But the concept of the gremlin. The yeah, um, on a book by Roald Dahl. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Well, Ellie, do you want to give the synopsis of the film, give a Gremlins? Brief, yeah, I'll give a brief synopsis. So Gremlins was directed by Joe Dante. I go on for an hour now. And I released <laughs> Sit back, guys, and released in 1984, and it's a darkly comedic horror film. It is quite comedic, isn't it? That mm. unfolds during the Christmas season. The story revolves around a young man named Billy, who receive. Who I have to talk about him later on because he is a young man. He's not really a kid, and it's all a bit weird. So he receives a unique yes. and mysterious creature called a mogwai as a Christmas gift, and the creature named Gizmo comes with strict rules, including not exposing it to bright light, water, and never feeding it after midnight. However, when these rules are inevitably broken, Gizmo's offspring transform into mischievous and destructive creatures known as gremlins, and chaos ensues and wreaks havoc on a small town called Kingston Falls. Mm -hmm. Kingston Falls, That's right. yeah. Mm -hmm. Causing a blend of horror and humor. Um, yeah, more horror huh. at some point. I was, <laughs> I was worried that you're going to ask me to do a synopsis. So but I, you can I, give your own I, version I wrote, of it. I wrote one as well. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Your please, please. I've never please done something like this before, so let's go. It's not as long as yours. I tried to keep it. <laughs> not like yours was long. I mean, it's... Ellie's go on and on forever. <laughs> I wrote, Inventor Rand Peltzer visits a racially dubiously represented <laughs> Chinatown and steals a key <laughs> mobile called Gizmo. That's what happens, right? Essentially, yes. yes. <laughs> the perfect gift for his son, Dreamboat. Son and Dreamboat, Billy. Yeah, now he's yeah. a pretty he's he's a hottie, isn't he? Mm -hmm. I think it was mm -hmm. a sexual awakening for me watching. Yeah, that film. we'll get to we'll maybe well, there, get onto that. There are there are worse sexual awakenings to be had in 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 film. So you know, um, but there are rules. Sunlight will kill him. You must not get him wet. And no matter how much he cries, no matter how much he begs, never feeding my never feed him after midnight. No follow up questions are asked. None. <laughs> <For that. laughs> Why? Um, <laughs> and the rules are immediately not adhered to. And before they know it, the, mog the Mogwai multiply, become evil little monsters, and hilarious chaos ensues. I think every synopsis must have the words chaos ensues. At and the chaos end. ensues, yes. <laughs> it is really chaotic. And I've got my, and at some point I thought, I don't know what kind of realm, magical world I've entered where you see all these little monsters. And I even, and I thought they were so cute as well. They weren't just horrible. They didn't disgust me entirely. They were, and there's my favorite one is the one that does like, that flashes himself. The flasher. <laughs> in, the, in the gremlin. Honestly, you remember that scene uh, toward the end when they take, when the gremlins take over the pool hall and the, the, yeah. gr the girl, the romantic interest, Phoebe Cates, she's there trying to make them happy and waiting on them. And that little, that little perverted one, he's wearing a, mm. he's wearing a, a trench coat and he flashes her. Ew. That's the one I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, I love that. yeah, yeah. I, yeah. That I, I had actually forgotten about that scene too. I was just like, ew, mm. gross. Even though they don't even have any genitals. No, well, no. thank God. Anyway, ew. Can no. you imagine gremlin genitals? Gross. No, That'd but there are eggs, aren't they? That would that be enough to put you off your Christmas pudding right there. Oh, they're little like furry. <laughs> they start off furry. There's a bit of body horror there. <laughs> see that much fur anymore we're like become quite clean in that sense in terms of like you know body bodily uh, appearance but you know little fur balls and they there is a bit of body horror there going on yeah 
it turns it suddenly turns quite quickly and i felt really sad for the, for the for billy because he realizes he's messed up but it's because his clock has stopped and i felt quite you know i felt for him because he was like i didn't feed him after midnight i didn't and then he looks at the mm. clock and it's like 20 to midnight but it's actually <laughs> yeah yeah well actually can we um just Neil, I was going to ask you. Think why... about the rules a moment. Sure, it's yeah. very, if you've got a horror film and you lay down rules, right, you've got to adhere to the rules, otherwise it makes the whole yep. thing mm-hmm. shambles. Yep. Okay, so when is after midnight and when is before Ooh. midnight, please? Yeah, oh. is, it, is, it, is it American time? Is it British it become... time? Yeah, exactly. We're in a, it... Apart from when it's midnight, we're in a constant state of it being both before and after midnight, are we not? Yes, so oh, you're right. To yeah. Kind of get philosophical. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's midday. Maybe midday is the cutoff point. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, yeah. And don't give him water or get him wet. Yeah. Food contains water. They that's walk true. about on the snow later true. on. True. Oh, that's true. And living things are what seventy percent water. Yeah. They didn't think this through. I mean, no, none of it. Didn't. I mean, the, none of it. None of this. Well, the matters. whole like light, the whole like light thing. I mean, like what defined bright light? I mean, like a light in his face. I mean, sunlight. You can understand that, but like even like light in the house or whatever. I mean, like. I don't know. Mm. But then the gremlins are fine in the light. They don't ever explain that either. Like the light, I guess, is the light meant to be something that is destructive to the Mogwai yeah. only? But they're not fine watching the film, are they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, they're that in that pool hall mm. toward the end. That's one of my favorite scenes. And there's a plenty of light. They have the neon lights. Maybe it isn't bright or direct, but there's still a lot of light in there. So they don't just say anything about that. But then at the end, you know, which we're going to spoil the movie for those those five people who listen to us that ne- never saw the movie, we're going to spoil it. At the end, you know, the, the gremlins are all killed because somebody shines a bright light on them. So it's just, it's an interesting yeah. movie. It's it's very funny to watch. But we were talking earlier about American Werewolf in London and how it would be interesting to see a movie like that made nowadays. I was thinking the same thing rewatching it because I hadn't seen this movie for probably 25 mm. years and thinking to myself, like, there's just such a, such a, a sense of xenophobia in it. You, Neil, you mentioned at the, t- the, the the beginning the 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 uh, the Asian proprietor who who you know basically the Mogwai is stolen from essentially, and I think to myself like how the, I I don't know how something like that would get made nowadays if if it would no. at all. And then it's there's very, that one. Go ahead. It, it's, it's 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 very insensitive. Mm-hmm. I think it's it, and almost innocently done. I think I don't think that nobody had some kind of racist agenda in it. It's just very yeah. that kind of very. Um, innocent kind of ignorance that you know everybody has about yeah. different races you know sure yeah so i think it'd be it'd be a very different film and what's sort of curious i think is that that the one character who's there for exposition and that's racist plowman whatever he's called Mr. yes the one who's Fem- always Mr. talking Feminine. about race foreign cars yeah. and foreign equipment and if it, it had been built in america it would be because he's lost his fine. job he's lost, he's he's angry he's lost his job yeah. Yes, I mean it's a, it's one of those fair points, isn't it, with free trade and you know other countries undercutting other countries to get all these yeah. things. So it has a point, but it's put in such a bizarre way, you know, from yeah. the point of view of like all these essentially this Chinese stuff that's that's flooding in is is yes. 
mm-hmm. ruining our ruining our lives. And it's the eighties. Which is supposed to like they're gremlins yeah. in themselves, aren't they? They're the gremlins. Well, exactly. I mean, and that's the underlying part of it is is mm. that he goes to Chinatown, he finds this creature. This creature is sort of equated with all of these other, like you were saying, this you know these Chinese you know imports, these very inexpensive things that you know you could com- com- compare them to the the gremlins in a way. You know the, these 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 goods that were you know imported from mm. China caused wreaked havoc to a certain extent on the American economy in the in a similar sense that the mogwai and the gremlins wreaked havoc upon this town it's an interesting uh, it's an extra, mm. interesting juxtaposition so are you I saying like um yeah. if the mogwai are like you know the initial imports like mm-hmm. the tea and the and the porcelain or whatever like we were importing we in yes. this end of my end of Europe, anyway, we're yeah. importing. But it turns out to be the thin end of the wedge. Is that what it's saying? For, yeah, I think you can make an argument. But before you know gonna... it, you're, you're getting mm-hmm. all this other yeah. te- technological equipment, cars that yeah. end up just flooding you. Yeah, so exactly. Careful. Don't do not do any deals with any foreigners. <laughs> yes, and the well, tech yeah, exactly. Yeah, what it's saying? And the tech aspect yeah. is really important. And it's really important in the Roald Dahl um, short story as well, mm-hmm. because these gremlins, they interrupt and they destroy all things technological. So yes. they're Airplane. stealing cars. They're seen in airplanes. Yeah, they're just Mm. kind of making mischief. And Mm -hmm. when I saw them all together in the cinema and they were having the best time ever, just like (laughs) throwing popcorn around and be, and I thought, yeah, they're mischief makers, you know, and the Mm. carol singing, that's one of my favorite scenes. (laughs) That's so sweet. And I'm like, oh, they just want to cause, they just want to wreak havoc on everything. And then it gets nasty because they start really killing people and damaging people and, Mm -hmm. you know, including some Mm. of my favorite characters like Kate and also like the mother who I really loved and i think mm. she's like the final mother i call her because like she yeah. is like killing them and putting Hell yeah. them in all she's, sorts a ba- of- she's a badass yeah. like don't mess with uh, the mom man mm. i mean, I mean like main... if that'd be if like Lush- gremlins were coming after lucia you you would have no problem in picking up a knife and going after them with the belly. yeah exactly she put them <laughs> in the microwave yeah and it's yeah. interesting to think about the role that technology plays in this movie as well because it ties in so strongly with the food aspect you know the father Mr. Peltzer is an inventor and, you know, and it's a kind of a point of, of humor in the movie because none of his inventions are are successful. But so many of them are based around food, which I thought was interesting, an interesting tie in with how the gremlins mess up so many things that are technology based, both in the book by Roald Dahl and in the movie. And you don't ever see them getting into any of the, the food inventions at the house. It's almost like these this technology kind of it's it's like its own it's like its self destruction is built into it, but you yes. see that in here you know, that the the there's the the invention that the dad has about cracking the eggs when when Billy is yeah. asking, helping his mom make I guess dinner or supper and she has him do the eggs and you know it works for one egg and then the eggs go flying everywhere and then the same thing with the with the juicer with the oranges. You know, it's just, mm. it's such an interesting. Uh, I love know, the coffee machine. The coffee it just machine. Comes out tar. <laughs> But yes, I, I spotted that. I mean, he's a menace. He's a menace like the gremlins are a menace. He's a menace yeah, you to read my mind. I was just going to say, in his it's own like, way, he's like a gremlin. Like, yeah, and, you know, he's tried to make all this food, for, not this food, all this, all this equipment for wholesome families, but it's just going horribly wrong. It's like he's he's chaotic good, and the gremlins are chaotic evil. Mm-hmm. And maybe Billy's 
chaotic neutral or something because stuff happens around him too but it's all circumstantial like it's his mate that knocks the water onto the yeah. mogwai not him yeah oh, right but yes. also chaos kind of surrounds him but i mean he ends up sorting it out at the end but you know he's in the thick of it whilst none of it's actually his fault he's, he's given the mogwai mm-hmm. he didn't ask for it his friend knocks Hi. the water over the other yeah. mogwai um trick him into feeding them after midnight so i feel like he's like the neutral one do you know what I mean? You see those little charts of chaotic and good and... Yes. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I'm absolutely, talking about? Absolutely, absolutely. And I feel that the, the food, how it's used and the, these kind of inventions of the dads, they, they also create a sense of um, emotional... I don't know what to call it, like some feelings of understanding because you see Billy looks at the eggs and he's like, I could just crack this with my hand, but right. I'm going to use this machine because my dad invented it. And and then the mum comes in and it goes everywhere and they look at each other. It's like, you know, they love their, they love the dad and mm-hmm. the husband. Mm-hmm. And so they want to be, <clears throat> want to be kind of um, understanding. But yes, there's a sense of frustration and kind of Billy the mother and Kate are kind of these people in the middle, a little bit neutral, and they're surrounded by these these people that and the gremlins and everyone else that it's like, you know, the 80s and pe- everyone's doing it for themselves and inventing things. Mm. And, and 1984 mm-hmm. was like a fantastic year for all these films come out where there are these people that go out and about and do um, amazing things like, you know, Ghostbusters. They've got their own thing going. Um, that came out, didn't it? Yeah. E.T. Indiana came out. Jones. Mm-hmm. It was all yeah, in a couple yeah. of years, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, oh. it was this big, yeah. big, it was, it was kind of, it was the kind of glory years for Steven Spielberg in that sense. He was doing those big epic kind of hero photo, you know, films. Yeah, but yeah, I thought I thought what was it, and I thought it was interesting that that this movie was inspired by Roald Dahl because I think Roald Dahl um, and Steven Spielberg are very similar in, in in many ways. When you look at the films of, of Spielberg and the writings of Roald Dahl, they both they both have this very strange attitude toward children. You know, they don't have this typical like Disney mentality it, it, toward toward kids that you tend to see in films nowadays. I mean, Roald Dahl he wrote some very dark things, and I, I think you could characterize a lot of his books as horror for children. I mean, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, there's some scary scenes in that book. And then the same with- The witches. Yes, the witch, yeah, oh the witches God. The witches guard me oh for life. You and me both. At a very young yes. age. Yes, yeah, same here. Terrified of being turned into a mouse. And you see the same sort of sensi- sensibility with St- with Spielberg in that he, he, he makes films that are family films ostensibly, but there are so many gruesome and hor- horrific elements, even the Indiana Jones films as well. Like, And it, it's not that I think he has an issue with kids. I think actually, and perhaps this is true of Roald Dahl as well, is that they know that children Children are aware of what's going on around them. Kids have a sense of of the horrors of life, and and it's better to maybe not protect them from it and to kind of just show life the way it is. But um, I kind of I kind of wondered what you all thought about that. Well, no, I mean I agree. I mean I I was kind of essentially going to going to make the same the same point. They just don't patronize children. That's it. You know, children don't really wrapped up in cobble. And even if they do get scared, you know, it's it's very safe. It's a very safe form of being scared. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll get over it. Yeah. And that's part that's of the I, bigger. I mean. Yeah. And it's part of the bigger picture of why I think we enjoy horror so much is that it provides a safe space, whether it's horror novels or horror films, in which we can explore and, and address our own fears. 
And then you have that kind of family around you that can comfort you ideally, but sometimes one doesn't. And then, you know, that's another, that's another issue. Yeah. <laughs> but and then you the have the food. The, yeah, the food, the food to it. also provide another level of, of comfort. Mm. But like that can be quite intrusive and can actually procure the opposite effect because that can be something that you look at and then think, gosh, this is in this is quite close to me. You know, I open my fridge. There are the eggs again, like in Ghostbusters, that terrible egg scene where they start <laughs> popping out. And it's like, actually, the horror is quite close to us. But one of the mm-hmm. scenes that I still carry with me today from um, Roald Dahl, which bef- before I saw the film, just in the book itself, was when they're looking at this uh, picture and of a little girl feeding the hens and she gets older and older. That's never left me. I think that's something quite horrifying that has never left me. And for example, the Jaws music has never left me. So there are some elements <laughs> that's quite difficult to, to get rid of. Um, but I think with, with gremlins, like there's nothing that I think, Oh, I can't get over that. You know, it's, it's well, I think it's well made, even though it looks, of another time, if that makes sense, it's it's mm-hmm. aged well. And, well, I think um, it's aged well from the point of view of the puppet. I mean, the best the best actors in the film are the puppeteers. Yes, yes, it was you know, done by, before by CGI. Far. I was yeah. reading that, um, and so that they had to actually like lock up the uh, the puppets every night because they were so expensive, and they would check every single actor and every single crew member before they left the set every night to make sure nobody was stealing them. <laughs> that was mm. hilarious. <laughs> And there's those amazing puppets for the close-ups, mm-hmm. which must have been so difficult to make and to actually use. Mm-hmm. But it, it just works so well. There's a couple of scenes. There's one scene I think, I think it's one of the little Mogwais. I don't think it's Gizmo. There's a one of them does a bit of a yawn, and it's got oh. a very realistic looking tongue. And it yes. still looks real now. And I don't know how they did it. No, and yeah. there's that scene when they're eating the chicken legs. Yes, which is I find quite difficult to watch i'm not a squeamish person when it comes to food <laughs> but but any any movie and, a, and it's a bit of a, a, a trope that happens in 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 films isn't it scary films and grotesque films is is a close-up of somebody noisily eating mm-hmm. it happens in um ah oh, return of the king oh yes or when the, um the, i I can't think of his character. Boromir's dad, and he's eating those grapes, yes. and that ch- really close up, and it's all bursting. And yes, he's eating the he's eating hands. the tomatoes and the chicken, and the the, the tomatoes mm. have burst, and it looks like blood almost coming down his yeah. his mouth. That's yes. right. And in a um, bit of a weird reference, Serial Mom, the John John Waters <laughs> film, there's two people eating chicken again, mm-hmm. roast chicken. Yes. And it's all really messy, really yeah, messy and close up and. Smacking lips and yeah, there's something uncivilized about first it's of all so eating with your hands. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I and I think you hit the nail on the head right there. It's very uncivilized. It's it's almost unhuman in in a way, you know, and and so I think it's meant to underline the basic inhumanity of these creatures you know they're not of this world they're not human like us they they, mm. they emulate humanity in a certain sense you know with the eating of the hands and all that but that I, like i said it underlines the fact that they are not human they're not they are kind of barbaric in a way they represent in in i think many ways that side of us that we don't want to acknowledge is there you know that that barbaric inhuman side that i think every person has inside him or her and they are mocking as well, aren't they, a little bit? Because mm-hmm. they're waving the American flag. And then I wanted to know what you guys thought about this, because when they're in the cinema, they're watching Snow White. And I thought, are they making fun of Disney? Is this like a dig at Disney? What's going on? I'm and sure. Then obviously, 
in the Snow White song, they're singing. It could have been any other movie that they were watching, you know Mm. what I mean? And it could have been even a Christmas film. But I thought thought because they're singing Hi Ho, is it to do with working? No, just my mind. We go. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Something. No, to do I think with I think it's probably I, I I like I was talking before about Roald Dahl and Steven Spielberg, and and how their approach to films and children and ostensibly family films is compared to you know Disney films, which are very bold, bolderized versions of mm. these very old fairy tales, and it, it is kind of I I took it in a sense I noticed that same thing at the end, and I kind of took it as Steven Spielberg kind of giving a finger, you know, to. Mm to, you know, Disney and saying, you know, your versions of, of movies are ridiculous and you can take a Disney film and make it as horrifying as, as anything, you know, else. And look at what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm facing the horror. I'm showing it for what it is. You know, I don't care if it's for kids or for families or whatever. You know, horror is horror. It doesn't matter how old you are, if you're a kid, whatever. You know, there's still going to be horror in life. That, yeah. that was kind of how I took it. I don't know. Yeah. It's the first of really mass, massive family film. Family mm-hmm friendly film mm. wasn't it it was the he, first full full length cartoon ever made as well i think wasn't it yeah and this and talking about family film there is just one scene i just i actually wrote it out because it was just amazing <laughs> and it was like perhaps the only scene that i would say apart from some small things like them a bit grotesquely killing someone or whatever but there is one bit where I thought oh this is a bit too much for kids you know you'd have to be a little bit older to listen to this but maybe a kid wouldn't listen to the full thing or not pick up on it but it's when Kate Kate who is Billy's love interest or vice versa Mm -hmm. she hates Christmas and she's like you know Christmas since I was nine I just can't celebrate it and she tells this really bizarre story of how her dad died and he dressed up as Santa Claus and got stuck down the chimney as he was trying to deliver presents to surprise them and no one knew he was there and they you know smelt that he was rotting I mean it was just horrific it is horrific well do you know what I was doing I I did a bit so I I I mean it's the famous stroke infamous scene of the movie isn't it and apparently Joe Dante really liked that scene and Spielberg wanted it removed because it not because it's um scary or or gross but because it was hard to tell whether it was gross or whether it was funny, because it's so over the top. But Joe Dante sort of stuck to his guns and said, "No, no, no, we, we need we need to have that in." It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a pivotal it's a pivotal scene. Yeah, he was and a it's... bit more of the loose cannon, wasn't he? Because then with Gremlins two, which I haven't watched, I, I've just heard that he was then given free reign. Yeah, he was given free Gremlins reign, two yeah. is a bit crazy. Yeah, yeah, I'm not too. I'm not a fan of of Gremlins two. Really, I mean, Joe Dante is one of those weird. He's made some good films. The Howling's a great film, but um, yeah. on, on the whole, he just gets too carried away with himself. Yeah, I mean, is it maybe he's the gremlin of movie directors? <laughs> oh, I think the we gremlin. can make an argument about that. <laughs> and if we go back to yeah, food, more ways and than like, one, yeah. right? <laughs> And how the gremlins are portrayed with their food. You know, it is exactly what Neil is saying. This lack of control. Like, mm-hmm. there's no direct. They will just go on anything, take everything. There's, They don't mm. care. And you feel this as you watch the film. I think that's why it works in, like, creating some sense of, like, horror. Because it is, like, falling. It's the free fall. You don't know who's going to die. Anyone could die. The mother could have died. Like, there's mm-hmm. no... 
there are no rules with these gremlins. Like mm. it's anything could happen. And I just love the scenes where the the mother is fighting back, and you think she's then going to die, but then Billy comes in at the right time. Well, yeah, oh, she's that, got that. that whole she's got that massive kitchen knife, which she's been using to chop uh, to chop vegetables. And yeah, you know, I love it. it and, and it's another form of domestic horror. You know that so much of the horror takes place in the confines of the house and yeah, so in the cool. kitchen in connection with food. Yeah. Mm, little home invasion mm-hmm. piece. It is a it's home such invasion a good bit. film. Actually, weirdly enough, um, you know that scene. It's a it's an amazing bit. It's probably one of, it's one of my favorite bits of the film when she's in the lounge and she's stood in front of the Christmas tree and the gremlin's eyes are glowing, but you just think they're two lights on the tree and you don't so notice scary. them. I've got slight goosebumps just talking about it because I remember being very scared of that as a child. And when it fell over, my Christmas tree also fell over. Don't. Oh my God! No, don't. Oh, wow. <laughs> and what was That's it that caused your What was it that? Just something. Just I just had to put it on its base properly. But okay, not a pet it, or anything. It'd been no. up there a few days, so it must have maybe been there was a gremlin. You maybe. don't ever know. It's the yeah. power of the energy of what we fear as well that can procure. I won't talk like this because people think I'm just not. Um, but oh, we I, do. I, I but we lo- these... but we love you anyway. Go ahead. Go talk I about your in this energy fairy, that fairy stuff. <laughs> yeah, I believe that fear can sometimes move, you know, we feel so, so much and so much energy that then these kind of things do tend to happen when you're most kind of fearful or scared of something. Perhaps. Well, I mean, isn't that, isn't that sort of what the explanation of what poltergeists are? Speaking of 80s, 80s films, that was another oh, Spielberg. Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Spielberg. Another Spielberg film, yes, exactly. That's clear, though, isn't it? isn't it? That's not a family film. Like, he's clear there that this is kind of for adults. It's, it's different. But there's no, a, but there's it's a, a very... Um... Uh, nice, wholesome version of a scary film. Yeah, it's all industrial light and magic. There's lots of there's a lovely, lovely lush score to it. Yeah, it's got a cute girl in it. It's absolutely mm, terrifying yeah. film. Terrifying. The first ap- the first time the poltergeist manifests itself is actually in the kitchen, and mm-hmm. it moves a toy. But we won't go there because we're not doing it. Well. Episode. We yeah, will we'll have Neil back to talk about Poltergeist when we do Poltergeist. Yes. It's fantastic, um, that film. I love it. It has a clown scene. Let's not even talk about the clown. Oh, oh, oh my gosh. Vanessa's yeah, very scared of clowns and puppets. So do you scared of the gremlins as puppets or is that different category? No, it's yeah. monsters, too real. Little monsters. They were I didn't find them scary. I found them ugly. They were ugly. They were ugly little fuckers. But they are so. they are a little bit like Gizmo is cute and I just need He's to very talk about cute. This because this is very weird because the dad, I don't know what time dimension they're in but they're not in the same time dimension because the dad goes and gets his present thinking that his son would like it his son mm-hmm. is a young his son is a man his son why would he like that little furry yeah. thing he's at least I 21 get that. because yeah. he's oh, is drinking he? the bar well he's drinking oh, in the bar so he, he must be yes, over 21 right. well in the 80s in some states in the in here in america 18 was the legal drinking age so he could so well, we don't, we're could not, I, don't I don't know what year that all it, it all still. changed but so he was at, between 18 and 21 so but yeah still he was a he was a grown man at that point yes mm. and he had a job too old the, for a toy too old for a toy robot yeah. which ends up being in that stocking you i'll tell you who i felt bad for was his yes. dog because his dad his dog was totally usurped as the family pet i was like if i was a family dog i'd be like what is this creature mm. i'm gonna eat it and, and a big shout out to the animal actor mushroom for his portrayal of by the dog <laughs> <laughs> because oh i love um, it <clears throat> he's a a fantastic bit of acting from 
Yes. From mushroom there when he's strung up on those lights. Poor thing, I know. <laughs> Again, in the Joe Dante version, I think Chris Columbus wrote it, who did the Goonies and did the oh, Harry yeah. Potter films later. Mm-hmm. He wrote it, but Joe Dante obviously did a few run-throughs of the script because it was going to be his film. And apparently Joe Dante wanted a scene where um, the dog gets eaten alive by the by oh, the grave. God. Oh, no, mom, that would not the have... Was, the mum was supposed to die. Mm-hmm. And Steven Spielberg made him pe- take all this stuff, like take it out. Uh, and so I guess the the one trade off was him having the Phoebe Cates dead Santa dead story. Yeah, speech. yeah, yeah. There is actually but going back great... into the house, <clears throat> yeah. like, what I love about um, the gremlins. So what what the gremlins are eating and what everybody else is eating are just so different, except for the chicken legs. But they're made gross by those close ups. Yes, um, because. When the mum first hears a gremlin, she's doing the most wholesome thing in the world, making what seems like enough gingerbread men to feed an entire village three times over. Yeah. <laughs> the amount of food that they've got in their house is just huge. A lot, yeah. And uh, the gremlins never eat anything wholesome, and everybody else is doing very wholesome <clears throat> stuff. Because um, even when... So when they're, when they're at the school... And the gremlin hatches out of the the school after killing the teacher by stabbing him in the bum. He he suddenly gets a choice. He sneaks up behind a desk and there's an apple. He takes a bite and he goes... And he's like... Instead, he just... Because he'd rather eat a glass test tube because he eats a test tube next. Yeah. And he's quite happy with that. And it occurred to me, yeah, they don't eat a single wholesome no. thing. Or if it is wholesome, they do unwholesome things with it, like throwing throwing around popcorn and being yeah. disrespectful. Yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. Ali, go ahead. And it, it's like, I think they mimic human behaviour, but it's exaggerated <clears throat> and it takes it to a dark place, doesn't it? So that happens through food. So they're taking it through mm-hmm. this dark tunnel of, um, okay, consumerism. And that's why it's set during Christmas, you know, because it does allow for this contrast between yeah. traditional festive mm. spirit and then the chaos, which is caused by mm. by the gremlins. And I think the last scene, they're in a shopping, they're in a shop. So it is about yeah. that. Yeah, it is about, oh, it's, yeah, yeah consumerism. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I also think it's meant to point out, you know, the the. I think it's meant on on a very subtle level as sort of a, a morality tale in the sense that these creatures, they they do, they're basically doing with food all the things that we as humans are told not to do. Don't eat after midnight. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. terrible. But eating after midnight's very bad for you. It'll cause weight gain. It means you know there's this, just something kind of forbidden about eating after midnight. You know, you think of people going and sneaking food out of the fridge after midnight, standing in front of it in their in their robe and their pajamas. You know, and it's just that there's always that sort of sense of forbiddenness to it. And then the gremlins themselves, like you pointed out, are are not they're not going to eat anything wholesome. They're going to, you know, they're in the scene in the bar, which I just love that scene so much. You know, they're they're chugging beer and they're doing shots and they're eating yeah. all the, the crappy popcorn and, and all the terrible bar food and they're just loving it, you know. And like you said, you know, they're eating, you know, they won't touch the apple. Um, you know, they're eating the chicken legs, like the, the little barbarians that yeah. they are. It's it's It really, I think, in t- on top of the, you know, commentary on consumerism, I also think there's a little subtle... Uh, subtle nod to you know morality and and you know how humans should behave and this is what happens when you go off the rails and start doing these Mm. things that we've been telling you not to do and eating all this food that you're not supposed to eat Mm. and it's taking these yeah go on neil that's me when you were describing that then but i said what 
instantly popped into my head a bit of, a bit of food history. I guess I, I, don't, I never have a day off from food history. But back That's in okay. Tudor, in, back in Tudor, England, at Christmas time, um, on Twelfth Night, last day of Christmas, they would eat um, a twelfth cake, and inside would be a bean. Lots of other countries do similar versions of it, and there would be you, you'd be sort of the the Lord of Misrule. For the for the time, and it'd be the day where you'd have boy bishops. There'd be day. It goes back to Saturnalia, apparently, in mm. ancient Rome, where they'd let slaves be the rulers for the day in the household, yes. and it was all kind of good fun. But the real message was: look what happens when we do follow the normal rules. Chaos will ensue. Yep. Yes. So, <clears throat> isn't it good that in fact the men are in charge or the rich people are in charge? Yes. <laughs> so it kind otherwise, of reinforces. We don't know. Yeah. Completely wrong society, these wrong societal norms, you know, which which shouldn't exist. And with this kind of slightly comedic, like like Gremlins, um, sort of performance, you're just reinforcing all these, um, you know, sexist, racist, um, colonialism, uh, colonialism, all those things yeah. are being, mm -hmm. being reinforced with comedy. Yes. yes, essentially. Mm -hmm. And this and food is so good as a tool for this because it is a source of nourishment. So you're taking it to a place of unsafety. So there's it really does trigger something inside of us, doesn't it? It's like, oh, we mustn't do that. And you always hear this thing. And I don't know. I've never done this. But does do you guys have midnight snacks? I don't know. Is this a thing? Like, I've always hear midnight oh. snacks, like a midnight feast. But I, I have no appetite at that time of night. I've no. always no. Kind of wanted to, but no. <clears throat> there is an interesting Christmas tradition that was brought uh, by the French. Uh, they still practice it in New Orleans. It's called, uh, I, and my French is terrible, so pardon my pronunciation. Uh, Réveillon. And the idea is a course, uh, 12 courses eaten at uh, midnight. And then you end with a toast to the uh, Christ child. So it's on Christmas Eve. And the mm. feast ends at the stroke of midnight when it turns into Christmas Day. And it's very decadent. You know, the idea is to, you know, have these 12 courses and, and have these rich foods and all that. But again, like it's, it's meant to be started very late. And again, it's once a year. But I thought I think it's an interesting juxtaposition to, ju to compare that type of a meal with... You know, that's how you ring in the Christmas season, and that's how you ring in the season and honor of the birth of, of Jesus Christ, and which is supposed to be like, you know, this, you know, worldwide thing. It's, you know, wholesome, family, good, religious, all these, you know, all these, these perceptions that we have of it. But what a way to kind of lead up to it. And it reminds me a little bit of um, the concept of Lent. This is going off the topic a little bit, but it's similar in a way. You know, you're leading up to Lent and it, you have all, you get to have good, you know, Fat Tuesday and the idea is to eat and drink and sin as much as you can. Then you have these, this time of, of penitence and, and giving something up. So I just thought it was an interesting, you're talking about the, the bean and the Mm. The 12th night kind of made me think about that and then eating at midnight because you asked about the ha having the midnight snack. So, yep. Yeah, all those rules are supposed to serve to make mogwais seem like extremely fragile things because they can't even cope with regular things like light, food, and drink. So there's that there too, isn't there, about how, how that can be transformative into something bad. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. 
And the, and the, the I, I wonder why this fixation on chicken, though, because even the mum says, oh, have you given, when they're at that early stage with the mogwai and he's all cute and it's like, oh, he's watching TV and he's learning, he's mimicking. And, you know, there's something a little bit wrong with that anyway. But then also <laughs> the mum is like, oh, have you not given him some chicken soup? Maybe he'd like some chicken soup. So there is a thing with, well, chicken soup is like a wholesome thing, right? So. Yeah, it's, it's the most um, wholesome of foods, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Chicken soup. Yeah. But also, that's so weird. Like, you don't think about feeding the family pet chicken soup. And that's, I mean, no. this is what this creature is, right? It's supposed to be a little pet. So maybe the mistake is already treating the mogwai as something that it isn't. Yeah. Giving it too much respect, almost. Yes. <laughs> Respecting what's, yes. Because then it gets out of hand. It's, uh, it's um, you can't control it anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the in the Roldal tale, I liked uh, the fact that there were female ones. There were female gremlins. I don't know if you get that in this film. Are they? Is there was the, there was one, one but I, they never specified if it's a female or maybe maybe it was a cross dresser. Maybe it was a drag, a gremlin okay. in drag. It was, the, it was in the scene in the bar where they're playing cards and, and they're swinging from the rafters. It's one where that one flashes in the trench coat. There's one of the gremlins who's who's got like big red lips and like. <laughs> Pearls and the gaudy thing. Yes, that's it, a wig. So I kind of think it was maybe just a gremlin in drag. I've and got you know that in, 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 in the book, <laughs> they don't eat. <laughs> I should have won. <laughs> that was a good one, Neil. I can't believe I didn't. What a fool. <laughs> in the book, this, this female gremlin is called a fifinella. And mm-hmm. um, and so there are different, many different types of gremlins. There's night flying ones, there's nautic ones, there's widgets and spandules and high altitude gremlins. And maybe in the film you get this, there's a variety of different types of gremlins and you get them all with their own personality, which is amazing. I think it, it gives a lot of character to them and it makes it different. Um, and it gives them, I don't know, a bit more kind of energy. That's um, quite but, Gremlins 2, isn't it? There's like different yeah. types of gremlins in Gremlins 2. It's maybe a bit closer to the Roald Dahl mm-hmm. idea yes. of, of how gremlins behave and the, the because, variety of gremlins you get or something. Yeah, because yeah. when you said about them eating the glass test tube, it just reminded me that in the in the story, they don't eat food. They eat postage stamps. Mm-hmm. So they have, yeah, they eat transatlantic special delivery airmail stamps, which are considered a delicacy. So they do also eat non-food stuff to mm. give them life. So, yeah, it just reminded me. They'll eat anything. Is so, that why your mail's lost in the post? I guess that's because <laughs> the gremlins are yeah, gremlins either. still on the stamps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, just on the, sorry, this is like an off thing, but because we did Bly Manor last time, there is a scene in Bly Manor where um, the governess calls them, calls the kids gremlins and don't don't get water on you or you'll turn into a gremlin. And I picked up, I remember that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. Yeah, well, Bly Manor was set in the early to mid-80s as well, so that movie would have been very much on everybody's radar at the time. So Yeah. yeah and the governess was American in, in that TV series. Yeah, so. mm-hmm. yeah. Because remember, they, they have that funny line, on a scale of uh, one, to, um, one to American, right to, yeah. you think, she's American. Yeah. She's American. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we're not all that bad, okay? Come on. <laughs> You're all right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things I wanted to mention was um, <laughs> the, the commercialization that we've sort of dis- discussed, uh, it being a mor- morality tale surrounding mm-hmm. consumerism and the, you know, just w- what happens when you let all this technology in and it's kind of, it erodes 
normal boundaries and you, you get crazy things happening. And it which, destroys the so family unit. All of that, you know, all the junk food that's being eaten, you know, candy bars just being thrown around, you know, it's, it's it, and all the, all the icing on the gingerbread men. It's more icing than it is gingerbread. Mm-hmm. Um, what I was quite interested to find was when Gremlins came out, a Gremlins cereal was created and sold in, re- in mm-hmm. real life. No. Mm-hmm. Made from, you know, extremely refined, sugary as, ingredients. As so, well it should. You know, it's America. Hello. That's what we do. I didn't know that. The yeah. thing doing the satire then created a product that, you know, is it's meant to be um, re- reacting against, not encouraging. <laughs> that is just, that's amazing. I can't believe, that's just everything in a nutshell, isn't it? How yeah. the world works in a nutshell, mm-hmm. let's be honest. It also yeah. kind of points to the fact that certain subtleties are not are going to always be lost on certain members of the public, and particularly when it ties in with consumerism. You know, consumerism is not given to any kind of subtlety. I mean, consumerism means in your face. Let's take the most obvious aspects of something and turn it into something that your kids are going to love. We'll just load it up with sugar. But look, this movie about gremlins, and it's a family movie, so we have a family mm. cereal. Yes, doesn't matter that the cereal is, is crap for your kids, but hey, yeah. it's all about the movie. So yeah, I think I, to me, especially because mm. of the 80s, particularly in this country and probably in Great Britain as well, I mean, that's what, that's sort of the definition of the 80s in America mm. is is this vast load of consumerism and, and you know, cons- cons- conspicuous consumption. You know, the mm. more you had, the more you wanted other people to see you having it. And, you know, on only the wealthier families, you know, or the, you know, higher, higher end families could afford these, these more expensive cereals because, you know, those of us who grew up poor, like me, you know, those cereals were like four or $5 a box. My mother couldn't afford something like that. So, you yeah. know, we'd get that, we'd get the crap generic kind. And of course that makes the kid, it makes you sad as a kid, you want whatever, well, the other kids are going to get, but mm. yeah. So to, to me, it, it, it makes perfect sense. Mm. It's, it's so just, weird because it's the, grem- mm. it's the gremlins die at mm-hmm. the hands of <laughs> um, crap food mm-hmm. and technology surrounding food. Because yes, you get the microwave one. Oh. Got to pre- obviously, that was to prick so it gross. Put it in. We all know if you don't want your, if you don't want your gremlin to explode in the microwave, you prick it first. Um, <laughs> And the mum was watching as that yes. happened. I love that the mum's like just looking or, or, you know, if you if you want to explode it in the microwave, you put a little cover over it first. And so the cover keeps, that way you don't have exactly. to spend two hours cleaning, you know, dried gremlin guts from the inside of your mm. microwave. You know, these little things the that you one. learn with time. Exactly. <laughs> the um, second one is in the blender, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's yeah. right. They have the scene where all you see at the end are its little feet sticking up. Oh, yeah, God, that's right. Oh, exactly. I'd forgotten about that. Yes. Yeah, it's really gross. And, of course, mm-hmm. the, the only, all the weapons are around because they're being used for preparing the food. And, I mean, it, it stripes come up and it's at the end. He tries to go and get more candy from the little shop in the cinema, sees that there isn't any, goes straight to the department store to fill his arms with candy. Mm-hmm. And it leads to his demise. Yes. And Gizmo, because, you, know, you know, this original pure intention of doing something nice, which is the father's intention, you know, the, the idea of of love and, you know, enjoyment of something, Gizmo, we might say, represents that. I don't know. 
then turns into something completely different and is completely tortured and treated terribly by the other gremlins so they what what gizmo produces then turns its back on gizmo which is exactly what happened with the gremlin serial i suppose in many ways and so you know these gremlins um pin gizmo to a dartboard it's terrible what they mm -hmm. do i know they're very mean to him aren't they Yes. I don't know. I kind of personally think it's just a it's just, it's just a it's a it's a warning about what happens if you have children, which is why I never had kids. That's my that's my take on it. <laughs> they reproduce. They make you other reproduce children and they turn on you and then they try to pin yeah. you to a dartboard and kill you. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Don't have children all to come. Uh, Fear Feast listeners. This is what happens. <laughs> What's your favorite uh, Christmas horror film? We were, we were talking about. I like Black Christmas. You know, I, I like Black mm, Christmas. That's well. a good one. I really like it, and I only discovered it quite recently. Mm -hmm. um, and what else? What other Christmas? I watched one the other day about St. Nicholas and it was terrifying and it's on Amazon Prime at the moment, if you want mm -hmm. to call uh, St. Nicholas and it's about the origins of St. Nicholas and he comes on his horse and destroys everything and it's quite good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do love a good Christmas horror. What about you, Neil? Apart from Gremlins, is there anyone else, any other film that you that you like? Well, the ones that stick in my mind about not our actual films, more like short TV shows or, or, or plays for TV, which don't really exist mm. anymore, do they? But the uh, M.R. James um, adaptations yes. are really good. Uh, and... In fact, very similar to M.R. James, Inside Number Nine. Oh, I love Inside Number Nine. Reese Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton, they do a really good, they do two really good Christmas specials. They've done a few Christmassy ones, but the two really good ones, I think it's The Devil of Christmas, where it looks like you're just watching a rerun of a 1970s programme. I won't spoil the end, but that's okay. not what, it turns out that that's not what you're watching. Um and the one called called the Bones of Saint Nicholas, and they go and sleep over in a church on Christmas Eve, and there's a ghost of what looks like a ghost of Santa appearing around, and it's got um what's he called Simon Callow. Wow, I think I'm going to have to watch that. That sounds great. Oh, you'll love it, Perfect. Vanessa. Really Perfect for Christmas Eve. You'll love Inside mm. Number it looks, Nine. It knocks around on Netflix, I think. I'm sure okay. I've seen it on pop up on Netflix. They might even have it on Shutter. I'll look, I'll look for both. Yeah. Yeah. There's some amazing scary episodes of that, but mm -hmm. yeah, those, those two at Christmas are, are really good. I love what about a, you, a nightmare. What about you, Vanessa? Nightmare Before Christmas. I'm a, I love Jack Skellington. It's not scary, mm. but there are some scary parts to it. Yeah. I, I, I think Tim Burton in his own way is a little bit of a modern day, uh, rural doll in the sense that like the way he yes. plays with horror elements in these movies that are ostensibly for kids and for families or at mm. least marketed as family films, but there's some scary things in there. So, but no, I love, <clears throat> I love a nightmare, be the nightmare before Christmas. Well, and maybe these one. films that are kind of marketed for family, then it gives an opportunity to talk about things to do with the afterlife. Otherwise sure. it's not a conversation. You just start up, you know, with a child. So it does, it's a little kind of more gentle, um, Maybe not Gremlins, it's not gentle, but some films can be a bit of a gentle approach into the topic, I guess. <laughs> we always end up on a biblical note, you know? We always end up on a religious note. What can I do? God help us. <laughs> mm. <laughs> oh, sweet baby Jesus. <laughs> Have you hung up your baubles yet? I've got chocolate. 
Have you done a Christmas tree, Neil? Yeah, it fell on me when I was watching Gremlins, didn't it? Oh, I thought that was in the past. I didn't realise that was now. No, that's that happened this now. It happened this, <laughs> No, it did. I watched it two nights ago and it landed on me when I was watching it. Oh, that is too funny. I wish you had had that on video. We could we could add it to we could okay. add it to some of our promotional stuff. That would be so funny. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> Allie, did you do a Christmas tree or are you are you going to be I the did. this year? No, no, I did do a Christmas tree and I put like chocolate baubles on. Oh, very nice. Will, that I will proceed to eat. Sure. <laughs> as they as well you should. As well you should. Tis the season. Well, I just want to say thank you to Neil for joining us. It was just wonderful to have you here and I hope you come back soon. Yes, it was Ooh, a true pleasure, Neil. Enjoyed yeah, having you great. so much. Thank it's you so, really so much. Happy Christmas. Merry Christmas, as we say here in the States. Happy New Year to you both. Don't buy any gremlins. Bye. Please don't. <laughs>